now, the Asheville Museum of Science presents 7-Minute Science, powered by the 828.com. Good to have you back. Another edition of 7-Minute Science, a podcast for the curious. Every episode, we're answering those science questions that you've wondered about. We try to do it in seven minutes or less with the help of an expert. I'm Ken from the 828.com. And I'm Corey with the Asheville Museum of Science. Seven Minute Science is a great way to learn something new while you're knitting a sweater, cooking some chili, or asking your phone for directions to the nearest Thai restaurant. So thank you for joining us as we get ready to learn something new. And today we are going to dive into the world of AI, artificial intelligence. Over the next seven minutes, we hope to make you an expert as well. From smartphones in our pockets to the large machines shaping our world, hopefully we will uncover how AI works and where the future of it all is going to take us. Now that sounds exciting to me. As machines become increasingly capable of doing things, AI is quickly becoming that hot topic. And while I use it every day, I realize I don't really know much about it. So we're going to change that today. So we've invited back one of our favorite guests, Dr. Michael Nealon, to learn about AI. Michael has his PhD in psychology from the University of Madison and is a professor of psychology at UNC Asheville. It's very good to have you back. A repeat guest. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. We needed to have you back and we're excited today about AI. Yeah, because I mean, it's something we're all going to have to get on board with because it's coming. Uh, Corey and I are going to attempt to learn as much as we can from you Mm -hmm. and pepper you with questions in seven minutes. And then after that, we're going to do our best to recap what we've learned. And if all goes to plan, we too will know something about artificial intelligence. Are you you in? Yeah, definitely. All right, let's get started with the first question. So simply, let's just define what AI is yeah, so that we can kind of talk about it a little bit better. Right. Well, I guess you can define artificial intelligence as trying to capture the functions of the human mind or replicate the functions of the human mind on a computer or a machine. So that would include recognizing faces, understanding language, speaking language, making decisions, all of those things we'd call the functions of the mind. Okay. So are emotions involved? No, actually, you know, that's it. So another question you had sent was, what is the history of artificial intelligence? It was coined actually in 1956 at a conference in Dartmouth where at the time, computers were just being invented. The military had been developing computers to try to do art- artillery sighting and target location. And people realized you could use these for a lot more than that. And at the time, psychology was in the throes of behaviorism. We're training rats to press levers, et cetera. But people realized, you know, there's we can actually start to list these, the f- steps of decision-making or the steps of solving problems, and maybe we can use computers to do that. So that created something called mm-hmm. cognitive psychology. And um, so that was the beginning of artificial intelligence. The original artificial intelligence was trying to come up with a list of rules that something could follow in order to solve a problem or perform a function. Wow. So how far back are we talking that that was being used? That, you said in yeah, the 50s? Computers, yeah, I mean, so computers really, the wow. digital computer was not really invented until maybe late 1940s um, or 1950s. Um, you had some analog versions before then, but it's only been that long, which is amazing to think. You just mentioned having your phone be able to do all these things. I mean, it's, it's an incredible achievement in just 50, 60, 70 years. Wow. So the original artificial intelligence was very what we call top-down, meaning it was you would program into your computer explicit lists of rules for it to follow. So 
if we wanted it to know language, for example, we'd program in all the definitions of words. You Mm -hmm. know, for example, um, I like to use this example in my class. I say, if I wanted to know or tell a computer what California girls were, I'd say they're fine, fresh, and fierce. (laughs) (laughs) But as my students get older, (laughs) I'm going to have to figure out a new one because they're starting to get beyond that one. Is Katy Perry a robot? Is that what you're telling (laughs) us? I I credit her with that. 2010, (laughs) Perry 2010. Um, So that's an example. Or recipes, that's an example of of what we'd be called a program. And so you could turn your own self into a robot when you follow a recipe. but there's problems with that approach, obviously. So, you know, right. th- it, that approach didn't always work so well because, you know, I know when I'm trying to follow a recipe and it says, cook till golden brown, I'm like, what is golden brown, right? And, oh, I'm the worst at following recipes. Yeah. <laughs> or, it's very subjective. You know, <laughs> cooking steak, right? I'm like, you know, press it until it feels like your cheek. And I'm like, I, I don't know what that is, probably why I burn it so much. So that was always the problem. The computer only will work so far as you can tell it exactly what to do. We have a lot more knowledge than that. We call that implicit knowledge. Okay. You know, if I, for example, say a robin is red and has wings and lays eggs, that's helpful, but it, do I have to program into a computer that you also can't use it to wax and buff your car, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that... that's you shouldn't. You should. <laughs> it would be nice payback, though. <laughs> but, um, you know, that, that's the sort of thing we know about Robins. We know that without having to tell ourselves, but computers you'd have to tell a computer to do that. So where was it successful along those, you know, if we keep going ahead in the future, it was successful for those activities that had really clearly defined steps mm-hmm. with, you know, clearly defined consequences, chess, right? Checkers, mm-hmm. um, phone menus, right? I mean, that's something you can automate very easily. So in fact, here's another interesting question in terms of the consequences. People are worried about will their jobs be replaced, right? By robots or AI. You, one thing to ask yourself is, is your job something that you can write down in a series of steps? Again, if, you, if it is, it's, then it might be replaceable. But a lot of our work is not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, think about folding a towel, okay, which sounds really easy to us, right? A child can do that in seconds. Um, a computer would have to know what the corners are and have to know that it's not folded when everything is straight. And then when you lay it over, do the corners match up? And they're trying to build robots to fold towels, but it takes them to, like 10 minutes to do one towel. Mm. <laughs> so, I mean, things that come so easily and naturally to us is very hard. Those things are hard to put into a computer. Hmm. That makes sense. Okay. So, you know, we've heard the term AI a lot recently, mm-hmm. uh, self-driving cars are, right. are becoming a thing. Um, so are there different types of AI? I know I've heard the term machine learning before. Yeah. Is that a type of AI? or? Um... Yeah, so the, the other approach, right? I mentioned this top-down approach, which didn't work so well. And, you know, it's useful in some niche areas, maybe like medical diagnoses or something. Mm-hmm. But the other approach was a bottom-up approach. You know, when we learn things, we don't learn things by being told rules or having stuff programmed into us. So instead, we learn through experience and trial mm-hmm. and error. And... So researchers started to try to create versions of that. And machine learning is one version of that. Machine learning broadly defined would be trying to find something, some pattern or regularity in the data, some data. Um, A version of machine learning that's become very powerful is artificial neural networks. And they work by taking lots of units. Think of those as neurons. They have some activation level. They can be high or low. They can send their signals to other units, and they're connected together. That's the network. And they send it along these connections called weights, and those weights can be strengthened or weakened. 
and that's where the learning occurs so that the activity of the whole network is representing something. It's pairing some input with an output or it's representing some concept. And that idea has been around a long time, but you know, one of the first ones was actually invented by, proposed by somebody named Oliver Selfridge in the 50s who is the grandson of the Selfridge department store magnate. I don't know if you watched <laughs> There was a PBS, I think, special about that show with Jeremy Piven in it. But hmm. his grandson, I think, was this uh, artificial intelligence pioneer. And uh, he proposed this idea. He called them demons in pandemonium, and they would yell messages to each other. But you had these different layers, right? Let's say I wanted them to recognize the word cat. I would at the bottom have a layer of a, of a, a demon that could yell when it saw a curved line and one when it saw lines of different angles and one when it saw a horizontal line or a vertical line. And then depending on the features I presented to it, they would connect to other units in a next layer that would put them together to form letters. And then they would connect to another unit in a higher layer that would recognize a word. And what was nice about that, it was very flexible. It could account for having the word cat in all sorts of different sizes and shapes. But um, at the time, we really didn't have the techniques to do that. So that kind of artificial neural network wasn't very successful for the longest time. But it's become much more powerful. There's been some developments recently that has really made it a lot more effective. Well, based on what you've told us, the definition of artificial Mm -hmm. intelligence so far, it sounds like it might be all around us and we don't realize that we did talk about the phone. Right. But what are some other instances where artificial intelligence might be happening hmm. in our daily lives that we're not even aware yeah, of? Yeah. So, you know, again, artificial intelligence can be described as something that seems to do something that we do very easily. One of our functions of our mind. And so something that's really changed lately are your software or computer's ability to recognize photos and pick out objects in photos. So Facebook yes. and all of them kind of can like how not, I, not only identify where the faces are, but then who they are, right? right. I mean, they label yeah. to the face. So that's something that's only just happened recently. And for the longest time, people struggled to figure out how a computer would ever do that, which we do so effortlessly. Right. Um, so that's one thing. Another one is speech recognition is much better now than it used to ever be. Translation is becoming very powerful, mm. too. Um, so th- those are examples of what we might call artificial intelligence, although they use different techniques, right? Some of them might use neural networks. Some of them actually might still use this sort of top-down, let's program out all the instructions. Mm-hmm. You know, what's really changed is in the 90s, there were some mathematical developments that allowed people to kind of solve some problems with neural networks. But the big change was big computers big data and faster computing speed. And when Google and Facebook, right, Google bought YouTube and Facebook basically had, what, how many billions of users on it, it basically gave them a huge amount of training data that we've never had before. And so they could take their networks on these bigger computers that had bigger memories, they could make gigantic networks, and they could train them on thousands and thousands of samples. And so they can do things. It's sort of like you know, the spark that causes the fire. We had the sparks for a while, but we just didn't have the materials. And suddenly we had the materials over the 90s and early 2000s, and now that spark has kind of caught. So, you know, you've mentioned a lot of AI now in our daily life, and these smart speakers are coming out, and, you know, Google's competing yeah. with... Right, right. All those smart assistants, Amazon. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like Alexa and Siri, they're right, right. Everywhere. They're always listening. <laughs> they're always listening. You right? know, and 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 of course, they, that brings up the question: is how flexible are they yet? You know, mm. again, the old-fashioned top-down programs. There was a, a kind of a famous early artificial intelligence program called Eliza, 
and you can look up a version of it online. And it was meant to be mimic a therapist. So when you <laughs> enter in a question, it would pick out the nouns and it would kind of just flip it as, as a, when you enter in a comment, it would flip it as a question, right? You know, it's cold outside. Does cold bother you? You know, so they would program in these things. And it, and after a while, it's kind of, you know, a, a, a hilarious to kind of, because you, you can play with these bots, right? These are examples of very early bots, but mm-hmm. it was very inflexible. And that was always the problem with the old fashioned artificial intelligence. New artificial intelligence is, you know, their, their ability to handle more and more examples has gotten really a lot bigger. At the same time, I'm sure we can do that with Siri and Alexa, right? I mean, you can probably ask it questions to the point where it's like, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Or, you know, it it can't, it's not, so it's not human yet. It's not quite human yet. So where does the future, or in your opinion, of AI, where does the future of AI lie and what's what's next? Uh, Well, you know, one way to describe what we have right now is that you can think of a lot of these products as very powerful insects, Mm-hmm. So, and you know, insects can do amazing things, right? Bees can navigate around in the you know, world and use magnetic fields and so can other animals and they can communicate with, you know, their dances, et cetera. But I don't think we would say an individual bee is smart in the way that we're smart. And I think that's what a lot of these products are like. So a driverless car is incredibly impressive. I've never been in one. I haven't seen one, but you know, I've, I've seen, a, you know, read about them and I've seen, mm-hmm. you know, I've seen movie clips of them, but they're not like a talking car. It's not like the cartoon cars. You know, they don't have a personality. They don't have... So you mentioned, Ken, earlier about emotions, right? And that was very explicitly stated in the 50s. They said, let's put emotions to the side because they didn't think it was necessary, right? They didn't think that when we are understanding language or making decisions, we're just following these rules. We don't need emotions in there. But I think one thing that makes us human is that we have drives and desires. If I take my computer, right, and I turn off the power save and the sleep function and I walk away and come back in a year, it'll just be sitting there, right? I mean, that's very different from us. And so mm-hmm. right now, computers are like, I think artificial intelligence like that. It's sort of somebody, the sort of... Um, incredibly powerful insect waiting for the triggers to tell it to do something. Uh, what will the future be beyond that? I don't know. Do we want them to have emotions, right? What if they had opinions and drives? You know, take me to right. work. Have I don't feel like it. Have you seen Ex Machina? <laughs> have you seen that movie Ex Machina? No, I've not. Oh, oh. Ex Machina? Yes. Right. <laughs> yes. Is, that, is that about a bleak future when robots take over the world? It's about AI with emotion, right? It, 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 yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting movie. That's a really don't want to give it away, but it, it kind of goes along with this, this topic and, uh, it, it's a little chilling after. It is. After you know, actually, one thing that movie really brings up is another very famous kind of his, part of the history of artificial intelligence, and that is the Turing test. I don't know if you've heard of that. So Alan Turing was a very famous early computer theorist, mathematician. He helped the British intelligence break the code for the, mm-hmm. um, the German you know, Enigma machine, and they made a movie about that called The Imitation Game. Mm-hmm. And what is The Imitation Game? He proposed, so the question is, what does it mean to be intelligent? He said, well, maybe we should not worry about what kind of things it has to have, but instead we could just say, if we cannot distinguish between a human and a computer, we'll say the computer is intelligent. So he developed this game where you would feed questions to a computer and a human, and they could print answers back. And if you couldn't tell who was who, it passed the Turing test, then we'd say it's intelligent. And so that movie is kind of about that, right? right. I mean, she, he, so it's about this inventor who creates these robots, and 
are they really, a, you know, intelligent? Do we have to give them rights, therefore, and respect them? And mm-hmm. and do they have emotions? I think the, one right. of the characters plays on that a little bit to right. say, can she trick them into thinking she's passed the test, so to speak? Right. When that leads me to put on my tinfoil hat. Oh, this is the perfect segue for the, <laughs> Are we talking about the conspiracy corner right yes, now? Yes, yeah, my favorite corner. <laughs> favorite corner. <laughs> so if that happens, <laughs> if we do right, teach them right. emotion, and even if we don't, is there a chance that we live in a world? I, I, let me speak to you on a movie that I have seen, Transformers. Is there a chance that my Volkswagen, that Shia LaBeouf, will, right. Shia LaBeouf, or my Volkswagen will one day right, rule right. me nice. and, and enslave nice. me? Is there any danger yeah. of further developments in AI? In yeah, your that's opinion? a really so. Um, there's a couple of things. One is again without the drives or the emotions. It's hard to imagine a computer wanting to do something without you telling it to do it, and therefore, it it, it won't take you take over the world at night, right? It's not going to be Hal. So remember mm-hmm. from two thousand one, yes. Hal was like, you know, oh, you need to go check that um, antenna, and then while he's out there antenna, I'm going to close the doors, right? And <laughs> yeah, so, Hal you was know, a jerk. He was, <laughs> <laughs> that's right, tricking. So I don't think we have to worry about that as long as we haven't programmed in drives. And I don't know if we want to program in those emotions because, again, it would kind of mess up what we use AI for. What I could see being a problem is what I call the sorcerer's apprentice problem. You might remember that from Fantasia. Mm-hmm. So he was able, Mickey Mouse was able to create all these mops to clean the floor, right? But they just kept going and they kept cleaning and they wouldn't stop. And so I suspect if we have problems with AI in the near future, it'll be you tell them to do something and then they keep doing it or they do it too well and then there's consequences we have to clean up later. Right, so I've heard these, you know, certain machines, they collect all this data, but then with this data, they they analyze it and they, and they do something with it. Can they teach themselves new things to yeah. do with that data? They certainly can learn new things. That's what's powerful about artificial neural networks. It's about learning from data. But again, they will only follow what they're told to do in their program. Okay. So unless they're told to take an idea – I mean, again, it's hard for me to imagine – having a computer find something new and saying, I want to act on it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if how that would be programmed in, although it's very surprising what computer scientists can do. I ask my students, you know, if we describe a program as a list of instructions, what are things that we can't make a list of instructions out of and therefore cannot be done by AI? And people are like, oh, well, we can't do creativity. And then I say, well, you can find computer-generated mu- music online. Mm-hmm. And then they say, how about humor? Well, there's actually computer programs that, you know, attempt to analyze humor or make jokes. And you can even find programs that try to do that. Hmm. Um, So it's surprising what they can come up with. But um, right now, I I don't know if I fear that kind of emerging consciousness. Having said that, the other big issue that a lot of theorists like to talk about in science fiction writers is something called the singularity. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, it's Sounds a si- daunting. It does, doesn't it? It's a, it's a science fiction kind of or theoretical concept. If you take a plot and on your x-axis you have all of the great inventions of history. You go back to the printing press, right? You go to the combustible combustion engine um, and then electronics and, and all the way up to the computer And then on the y-axis, you have the time in between those inventions, right? So the printing press was, what, the 16th century? And then it took hundreds of years before we had the steam engine. And then it took 100 years before we had the phone, right? And then it took 
a few tens of years before they had a computer. And what you'll notice is that everything is coming down. The time between inventions is shrinking to the point that at some point it's going to cross the zero point. And that's called the singularity where inventions are going to happen instantaneously. And so some people like the, or worry about this thought of when we reach that point, that's when artificial intelligence will be able to improve itself and is doing so at an instantaneous rate. I mean, computers are very fast. They're faster than humans. Once, once they get to that point, they'll be able to leap ahead of us faster than we can catch up to it. I don't I know robot. if that will happen, but yeah. uh, you know, there's some really good science fiction books that kind of play around with that idea. I'm going to keep my tinfoil hat on. Yeah. I'm a little freaked out. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. They how, say, how, well, how if you look at those that? plots, right, you can project out into the future where the singularity is supposed to happen. And the thought is 2030, 2040. So not, not far <sighs> that away. That is not far that away at all. Not, too no. close. All right. Well, with that being said, now that we're a little freaked out, I think, <laughs> I think we have enough information to go off of to see how well we were listening. What do you think? I, I think so. I am a little freaked out because uh, apparently <laughs> the uh, computers already know that we uh, went longer than seven minutes and can tell time better than us. And that, uh, we're, t- that we're talking about them. Yes. That's, right. that's the yes. worst part. They, they, they sense it. But is it time for us to uh, now give our lecture to the good doctor? No, let's, let's try. And, uh, right. You're going to have to help us out right, here because right, right, there's right. a lot of information there. But we can start with uh, artificial intelligence is basically defining something as as being smart and and being as smart as as humans right and in particular what we do with our mind what we right do so with the mind. things we do not just you know physical things which is are, are pretty impressive themselves but our ability to understand language make decisions recognize faces all the, so those kind of functions but it still takes a person to be able to program the machine Right to, now. To do over. Yes, <laughs> for now. The singularity. Right, the singularity. That's right. <laughs> and and the, this has actually been going on since the late 40s, yeah, early 50s. That's right. Uh, when the computers used to take up an entire warehouses. Absolutely. That's right. And that started as the top-down approach. Right. Is that correct? And that's kind of, uh, you know, the recipe, rule-based. Yes. Follow. That's a really good idea. So keep it, keep it, yeah, I like the idea of remembering a recipe is a program, right? Mm-hmm. It's a form of a program. You're following rules to perform a function. And that was the the original artificial intelligence. But artificial intelligence as we know it now has nothing to do with emotion. Right right now it doesn't. I mean there's probably people working yeah. on that but But there's this bottom up approach, right? That's the neural networks that yeah, are right. um, allowing these this, I guess machine learning uh, as part of artificial intelligence mm-hmm. and collecting all this data and being able to to do things with this data that hasn't been able to right. be done so before. So learning from examples. Learning from examples. So that's right. what the bottom-up neural network approach is, and it's more powerful, it's more flexible. Um, but you know, and where will it go? What will they learn from it? That's that's kind of where we are right now. Have you seen the movie Short Circuit from the eighties <laughs> with Ali Sheedy? Yes, <laughs> Ali Sheedy and Steve Gutenberg and, oh, and Johnny wow. Johnny Number Five, and that that was his deal. Is he was a robot that like read through the encyclopedia? So basically, uh, absorbing knowledge, it was a machine that was able to learn, right? Like a human. Yeah, and then that's what neural networks. That's the power of neural networks is that they supposedly can learn that way. Um, but you know, 
the other thing to keep thinking about is the original artificial intelligence kind of diced up the functions of the mind into these fields, language, perception, thinking, and they separated out emotion. Mm -hmm. And they still, I think a lot of artificial intelligence still works that way. It's still sort of, okay, let's make a car that can drive, or let's make your assistant, your personal assistant on your phone, recognize your voice and look information up. But when do we put those all together, right? That's what we would call artificial general intelligence. And we're not Mm. there yet, but I'm sure there's people working on it. When that happens, right, then we're going to create something that much more looks or acts like a human. Right now, nothing acts like a human because it's only one function that we've excised from our repertoire of behaviors. Well, 2030 is right down the road. What are we, 12 years away now to the singularity? And so, yeah, the future is (laughs) uncertain. Mm -hmm. Um, And hopefully we will use it. Exciting, though. Incredibly exciting. Hopefully we'll use it for good, right? That's right. (laughs) Well, thank you, Dr. Michael Neal so much for uh, coming back on the show. Of course, we'll have you back again. Great. Yeah, we appreciate talking and learning about AI today. Yeah, thank you. We appreciate you for joining us on 7-Minute Science as well. Hope you learned something and can share this knowledge with a friend, family member, or colleague, and you can get more episodes. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, and of course at the 828.com slash science.